What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Captain America to my Iron Man, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, America, of which you are the captain, needs to know, how was the pumpkin patch on Sunday? You were heading there after we recorded our Penn State recap, and I know that I, for one, have been on the edge of my seat waiting to hear details. So I sat there doing the math on how much these pricks made just on <laughs> Sunday. And it's got to have been $100,000. I mean, my family spent $150 for the five of us. I counted roughly, I don't know, three, 400 cars there when we got there. Couple hundred extra when we left. You do that. That's easy math. Like these guys are raking in tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. And they only had about six people working in the whole damn place. Somebody taking their money in like five places and one guy filling up uh, goat food. That's it. It's, it really is a racket, man. What do you think the margin is on pumpkins? I would have to imagine it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, 50, I think it was like 55 cents a pound. My kids picked up pumpkins that they couldn't even pick up because God forbid we got like four pound range. We're picking up like 38 pound pumpkins. I think I got a hernia carrying one of them to the damn car. $7 for a homemade lemonade. You know, that's just a lemon and a little bit of sugar, right? $7? Are we serious (laughs) right now? Hot dogs were four. I can go to damn Kroger and get an eight pack of hot dogs for three fifty. So the the margins are astronomical and good on them that that they're getting us all to sucker in and buy them. Because guess what? No matter how much I complained about it, we still went. And guess what? We're still going to do next year. Take our asses right back there and spend more of our money. In their defense, though, you know these pumpkin patches and whatnot. You know, they've got to make their money in a month. So they've got to condense it. They have to charge 12 times what they normally would. But um, they don't have to make millions in that month. Come on. I don't know, man. Maybe the pumpkin game has got it like that. But (laughs) now that we have the important stuff out of the way, Chuck, I think it's time to get salacious. All right. Talk serious scandal. I am, of course, referring to the alleged Michigan sign-stealing operation. So, in case you've been living under a rock for the past few weeks, I will do my best to summarize, right? A low-level member of Michigan's recruiting staff, Connor Stallions, great name, by the way, is currently under an NCAA investigation for allegedly like buying and distributing tickets to games featuring other Big Ten teams. And I don't think that we know for sure whether he attended these games or not, but those who did attend would then film the sideline or one or both teams for the purpose of presumably observing signs or signals, which could then be de- uh, you know like decrypted or, or cracked like a code by Stallions and perhaps others. I get it. It sounds like a movie plot. As of right now, allegations are floating around, but we've seen or heard that other Big Ten schools have spotted individuals filming from seats belonging to Stallions. Um, It's been said that he purchased tickets for at least 30 games featuring at least one Big Ten team, sometimes two often just a few weeks before Michigan was scheduled to play one or both teams. The whole thing is odd. It's super crazy, but there does seem to be at least some uh, smoke coming out of Ann Arbor. So Chuck, just give me your initial thoughts on this whole deal going on up north. There sure seems to be an awful lot of details that they've already confirmed for this to be like the beginnings of an investigation. So for this to, they were just waiting for this to come out. There are a lot of athletic departments that are squealing 
on this guy. Like this is this is pretty <laughs> obvious. I mean, you think about how quick ESPN got a story up. They got it up within a couple days. It obviously was something maybe they were already working on it because of some of the comments that have been made. You know, Shiano's made some comments in the past. Uh, they weren't real happy with how things happened. So I it it's crazy. It's uh, I'm kind of pissed that the two tickets for the Ohio State Penn State game didn't get used. I feel like <laughs> right? he, once he got in trouble. Once he got in trouble, he could have thrown those back on StubHub for somebody else to buy. I would have cut it. I would have paid face value for him. He, I mean, you and I could have sat across from each other on a 45 and just waved to each other from across the field. <laughs> so it this is uh this is bad news for for Michigan. I think this is probably bad news for Jim Harbaugh, even though he's gonna claim he didn't know anything about it till the day he dies. And my guess is. If he makes it through the season unscathed, that he will be the head coach of an NFL team next year, without a doubt. My only pushback there is not on the idea of that, but rather the ineptitude of the NCAA and their investigations. Like this might take twelve years, and then he gets a you know a six month show cause when he's his yep. dad's age, right? Um, but let's go back a little bit, so. Sign stealing in game is not against any sort of rules, right? It's sort of a wink, wink deal. Every team does it in game. It's like poker. If you can figure out someone's tell, then you are going to use that to your advantage. It's gamesmanship. But in-person, off-campus scouting of future opponents has been banned since like the 90s, 1994 to be exact. And recording or filming signs and sidelines is strictly prohibited so this alleged behavior does go well beyond what is allowed or accepted and here's the thing jim harbaugh has denied any knowledge of this shit going on but i mean stallions is a low level recruiting analyst right who was spending entire games next to coordinators and coaches, that's not normal. You've seen the pictures probably going around today, right, with the laminated cards. That's not normal. Unless you're on a plane and you need to, uh, they give that to people who might be hearing impaired. You know what I'm talking about? Like the the graphics of somebody doing signs. <laughs> that's what their cards were. And getting tickets to all of these games all around midfield, sometimes on both sides, it's not normal on a $55,000 a year salary, which is or was Stallion's supposed salary. Maybe he's independently wealthy, but it's not just tickets. It's airfare, hotels, food and drink. There are extreme costs for a, a recruiting analyst to be sort of footing the bill for this. I don't buy for a second if it's that deep, right? And finally, like I don't want to come across as some butthurt Ohio State fan. I don't know if inside info hurt the Buckeyes in any way. Stealing signs didn't make Aiden Hutchinson a beast. You know what I mean? But having inside info certainly doesn't hurt in any way. It can only be an advantage, even if it's minimal, even if it's to the slightest degree. Football, pick a sport, right? Sometimes games come down to a play or two. One play may not dictate the end result, but take Ohio State's game against Penn State, for example. Apples to oranges here, but the Kyle McCord fumble that was called back ended up being a nine or a 14 point swing, whatever it was. It say chop Robinson knew what was called and you know, he times his blitz. He does whatever and gets to McCord and that never gets called back. Well, guess what? That knowing that play, that audible, that signal, whatever resulted in a nine point swing or a 14 point swing. So no matter how you cut it, if any of this stuff is true and then it goes above and beyond to this like wild extent, it can only be an advantage. It's 
it's cheating as long as cheating is cheating. You know what I mean? Like, they're playing the system, bending the rules at best, but it seems like breaking them. The part I think that pisses me off the most is this prick has been on his high horse since he stepped on campus at Michigan. Wins, losses, even when they weren't being as successful, he was up on this high horse. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, but go ahead. Yeah, like, he has been holier than thou since the second he took this job. And for it to come out, and I get the the stuff that he, you could argue the the previous transgressions weren't an issue, weren't that big of a deal. But the fact that he wouldn't talk and then told some things that weren't accurate, that part, we're like, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, why are you refusing to speak to him? Stuff like that. And then for this to come out right after that. And my, my favorite part of coaches like this is they're so controlling. And I guarantee Harbaugh's like this. They know what is going on every second of every day in their program. This is similar to like Rick Pitino. The fact that he didn't know his guys were going to see those strippers is such a crock. You know exactly what's going on. That's what makes you great. Your ability to manage all of that and keep everybody going in the right direction. Harbaugh is no different. He knows exactly what's going on. He knew this was happening. Now, do I believe that there's some like mafia level he never actually talked to this guy and it had to be a talk to a guy to talk to a guy to get to Jim? 100%. He has plausible deniability. I have no doubt. That being said, if there's like a coach Jim for UM uh, Venmo account out there, we might want to check the history on it because I'm betting he probably sent some cash to this guy to pay for these damn tickets. I'm sure he's going to claim plausible deniability, but when you see this low-level recruiting analyst ponied up right next to coordinators on the sideline, six, you know, five, six feet away from Jim, at some point is he probably isn't he asking, what the hell is the recruiting guy who's in charge of booking the the flights? Why is he standing next to Coach A or Coach B with a Waffle House menu? whispering in people's ears, you know what I mean? So, like, that sort of goes out the window, in my opinion. I also look at the timing of this whole thing. It it has allegedly been going on for the past few years. And let me remind you that Harbaugh was 0-5 against Ohio State at one point, and then he ducked the 2020 game. He was also under 500 against the spread prior to 2021. Now you're getting Vegas involved, right? He is well over 500 cents. I think Michigan is beating the spread like 66% of the time, which is almost unheard of. He had a salary cut in half in 2021. He has consistently flirted with the NFL. All the while, the number of recruiting stars on the roster hasn't changed. And suddenly they're a juggernaut. I was looking this up. Before we jumped on, Chuck, so 2019, Ryan Day was the head coach of Ohio State. They went to, uh, I'm sorry, let me see where this game was at real quick. That's my bad. Yeah, they hosted Michigan. And no, I'm sorry, they went to Michigan. Got that right. Got that right. They went to Michigan, 56-27, beat their ass by 30 points, okay? Ducked it in 2020. 2021, Harbaugh finally gets over the hump. But if you look at the rosters, for example, I'm going to read you some of the names on the 2019 Michigan roster. Shea Patterson was the quarterback. Not a good quarterback, but he did throw 23 touchdowns to only eight interceptions. Dual threat guy, whatever. We're not going to get into that. Leading rusher, Zach Charbonnet. Second leading rusher, Hassan Haskins. Both those guys are in the NFL right now, okay? Let's look at their receivers. Top three receivers. Nico Collins, who I know you love. Ronnie Bell, Donovan Peoples-Jones. All three of those guys are in the NFL right now. NFL talent on that team got stomped out by 30 points. You look at the other side of the ball. 
Aiden Hutchinson was on that team. Quiddy Pay was on that team. Daxon Hill was on that team. Josh Uche was on that team. Two years later, they replaced Shea Patterson with Cade McNamara. Granted, look, Hutchinson, Hutchinson is a little bit better. Hill is a little bit better. I get that. But they flipped the script like that and just completely... On the scoreboard is a little bit different, but they dominated Ohio State. It sort of looked like in that game, right? What changed? Tell me, Cade McNamara and a year of experience for Aiden Hutchinson suddenly swings the game 40 points or whatever it was. So, I, again, I don't want to sit here and be this butthurt Ohio State fan. I think I've been pretty complimentary of both Harbaugh and Michigan the past few years. They're putting guys in the NFL. Like I just said, he's clearly gotten the program going in the right direction. But you, something like this, of this magnitude, you have to question it now. You have to wonder how they've made these giant steps without making significant changes. Because if the roster looks the same and the coaching staff looks roughly the same... Why are the outcomes so different, right? Is it fair to at least look at the timing and then start to tie it in, Chuck, or possibly tie it in? I don't think there's any question that the pressure, I mean, he was borderline out the door there. Like after that COVID year, if he doesn't take that pay cut, he he gets fired. Like they're not going to continue forward with him. They were not going to pay him seven, eight, whatever it was, million dollars to be below 500 and not be Ohio State. Now, I know they were only below 500 during the COVID year, but they were below 500 nonetheless. They, to me, this was a desperation move from a desperate guy because if he did not figure out Michigan, he wasn't going back to the NFL either. That's what they take him. They took him the first time because he was coming off a very, very successful run at Stanford. If he had failed at Michigan, I don't know, especially with the way he kind of flamed out with the 49ers, that he would have gotten another NFL job. And let's be honest, it's become very, very obvious that he has gotten to the point with his ego that he would never ever be an assistant coach anywhere again and quote unquote work his way back up. So he knew that this was his only chance to fix this. And I'm guessing he didn't anticipate it happening for so long. I bet he thought he was going to be out of here by now and that if it worked, he was going to get a job one of the last two off seasons and for whatever reason, with Minnesota and Denver and whoever else was in on it, he didn't get a job. And now it's like, well, I can't quit doing it because then we may not win. But then you're just continually exposing yourself. And at some point, you're going to get caught. And it sure as hell looks like that's what happened to him. I sort of respect that part of the hustle, right? I got to figure something out to get me out of here to a bigger, better job that pays me more. But... Yeah, and I, I really hate even talking about this so much because it might put Ohio State fans in a bad light, like, oh, you're salty, you're jealous, whatever. This is this goes beyond the normal scope of gamesmanship. I've seen a lot of people online, whether it's Michigan fans or other or members of the media, that say, you know, every team does this. It's just a little gamesmanship. Maybe Michigan took it a little bit too far. Well, look, if you're an athlete and you take a little bit of steroids, you don't get to say, ah, I, I just took a little bit, right? And you get a slap on the wrist. No, you. there are real consequences for breaking rules. And that is allegedly... What happened here? Again, it's all alleged right now, and you and I certainly aren't on the the in on the meetings going on about this. That's for sure. And keep in mind, this is all in addition to their former OC getting fired for accessing other people's computers. That that was odd, right? Sweeping Mozzie Smith's felony gun possession charge under the rug, and the known recruiting violation. So. At a minimum, it just seems like there is a lack of control 
or regard for the rules. And as a salty Buckeye fan, I do think it's fair to call out or compare this to the way Ohio State was treated in the past. Tattoos meant to a vac- led to a vacated season, right? This is much different than that. This goes much, much further than that. So hopefully we talked about that in an intelligent manner. And without too much of a bias, it probably came out. But man, I didn't plan on doing an episode of Crime Junkie. So Chuck, what do you say we move on? Let's finally look ahead to week nine of the college football season. Ohio State's heading to Wisconsin. Let's talk about what we're here for, right? Let's take a break, regroup, make sure nobody's listening in or stealing our signs through the Zoom here, and we'll be back right after a quick break. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Conspiracy hour is over. And we are on to week nine of the college football season. I'll say it again. It's going by way too quickly. This week, Ohio State travels to Madison, Wisconsin to take on former Buckeye player and coach Luke Fickle and his pesky Badgers. I'll say it right now. I think that this could be a trap game for the Scarlet and Gray, but we can and will get into that a little bit later. First, Chuck, we got to check this off the list. Let's cover a little bit of press conference Tuesday. Per usual, we learned very little. Ryan Day was once again mum on Ohio State's injury situation. He said he hoped to get guys back. It doesn't really matter. I am not and will not be convinced that Travion Henderson, Emeka Ibuka, and or Denzel Burke is available until I see them take a snap. And I mean live snap, not running around pregame. I wouldn't even be surprised if we got a surprise injury this weekend, much like we saw with Mayan Williams a few weeks ago. We know Devin Brown's a little bit banged up. This is our reality. Let's move on. Day was complimentary of Wisconsin head coach Luke Fickle and the team. Um, You knew that that would be the case, as I'm guessing there's quite a bit of mutual respect between the two. Braylon Allen came up more so when Jim Knowles was speaking. Badgers defense uh, was brought up as well, which is coordinated by Mike Tressel. And finally, Day spoke a little bit, I guess, about the expected atmosphere in and around Camp Randall Stadium. He said, hey, we got to bring it. We got to be ready. It's going to be loud in there. It's going to be rowdy. can certainly be intimidating, but fortunately for Ohio State, Kyle McCord has faced the music at Notre Dame, Purdue, a few other road venues. Did anything else jump out to you, Chuck, from whether it was Ryan Day or Jim Knowles' press conference today? The, the running game thing is just so flabbergasting to me. Like I cannot deal with him saying not just one thing with the run game that we've got to coach it better. We'll start coaching it better. What 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 what, what do we wait? So you've acknowledged you have to coach it better. So let's let's do that. How about this week, the the coaches that are in part in charge of the run game coach it. We're gonna coach it up and we're gonna get better. The Dallin Hayden, we need to get him in the game, but we also anticipate Travion coming back. There's just no way both of those are true. So which one, like Hayden didn't play this week when we had uh, a lead back average two yards a carry. What, what, well, so why, hold on. why would Camp Randall be different? There is one scenario. I, I don't, I don't believe it to be true, but like after the um, Penn State game, Purdue, or I'm sorry, Ryan Day sort of alluded to Tony Alford making the call of which running backs are going to play. So maybe, just maybe, Ryan Day is like, yes, we're hopeful, but I don't know because I don't talk to my running back coach. Maybe maybe that's also not a great look. I'm just going (laughs) to throw it out there that not a great look if that's the case. Uh, The one thing Jim Knowles said that kind of got me excited was uh, what he said, Josh 
Proctor is starting to hit on all cylinders. God, I hope that's true. Because if that means he's just hitting his peak, that means he's going to have a hell of a second half of his season. And from the the number one uh, Josh Proctor hater fan club uh, prior to this season, I'm a convert and I am here for it. And I hope to hell he's being uh, truthful about that. For sure. Other than that, though, Chuck, I I don't think we learned much. Like I said, this is the typical Tuesday MO. Yeah, typical. So I don't think we have to cover much of it. I, I say we move on to our Wisconsin conversation. I think it's going to be interesting. I think that there are a lot of things to break down and look at here. So I don't know. Let's just jump into our preview. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Wisconsin Badgers sitting atop the mighty, mighty Big Ten West a murderer's row of Power 5 football teams. The biggest subplot this week is obviously the fact that the Badgers are coached by former Ohio State player and coach Luke Fickle. Fickle, I guess, infamously had a brief audition for the head coach role at OSU in 2011. Was never going to stick as long as Urban Meyer had interest. Let's face that and just get that out of the way right now. Even if Fickle being 500 didn't help, I know it was a terrible, like a terrible place to be put in. But he, his only shot was if he went 10 and two. Let's be real. I actually have it written in my notes here. Even if Fickle had gone like 10 and two as the interim head coach, Meyer was getting the job again as long as he wanted it. But even after that, Fickle stuck around for a bit and then left Columbus under good terms. He still has plenty of love for the university, but he's a Wisconsin guy now. And I'm sure that he desperately wants to beat his alma mater. And while I don't think that Fickle's got a great team on his hands this year, I do believe, actually I know, that he is a fantastic coach. And I also think that this has trap game, T-R-A-P-G-M-E-G-A-M-E, written all over it. So let's start there, Chuck. Is this a textbook trap game, and should OSU fans be concerned? You're damn right they should be concerned. This is the definition of a trap game. Former alum, you're going into their house. It's a tough environment that while Ohio State hasn't lost a ton, it has been a shitload of close games recently. So for them to let their foot off the gas at all during this game, if you think Fickle isn't going to have these boys ready to go and he is going to pull every trick. Longo has 700 trick plays in his book. They might pull 600 of them out this game. They're going to pull everything out because if they can pull this game off, not only does it let Luke Fickle sleep a little bit better at night because you know there's still a little bit of I'm kind of pissed at how that happened in him. But this is a recruiting juggernaut if they can pull this off. Like this is what they're going to use to pull in all these guys that they think they need to compete next year when they're not in the West and they don't get to play five patsies every year for conference play. If I were Phil Longo, though, I would be – careful because I'm not sure if pulling it all out is legal in Wisconsin. He may want to pull a little bit out, start there, see how it goes, test the waters. The old Milton Burrow, if you will. We've seen this sort of situation play out in college football for decades. We saw it play out multiple times last weekend. North Carolina lost to one and five Virginia. Washington stunk against one and five Arizona State and Gosh, like Oklahoma and Texas both barely held on against very average teams. Coming off a big emotional win, you are almost predisposed to a letdown. Great teams avoid it, and so we'll see if the 2023 Buckeyes are a great team. But I'm with you. I think there needs to be a level of concern there. I'm going to write about it this week because of all the things that you hit on, and I'm sure we'll cover more of it as we progress here. For what it's worth, though, Ohio State has won the last nine matchups between these two teams, dating back to 2011. 
And Ryan Day is 3-0 and against the Badgers. But each of the last two visits to Madison did result in a one-score victory. So there, there's precedent. There's some messiness there. There are things that you want to keep an eye on. Let's start to look at some players, position groups, and matchups here. Start on offense. The strength of Wisconsin's offense is and has been their running game. But the quarterback this year was supposed to play a pivotal role. Fickle brought in Phil Longo, as you said, from North Carolina, and transfer quarterback Tanner Mordecai from SMU to infuse some life into the Badgers passing game. Surprisingly, it looked just okay for the first month plus of the season, and then Mordecai broke his hand. Now Braden Locke is running the show, and frankly, for me, it's tough to evaluate his performance. He's played in three games, making just one start, which came last weekend on the road at Illinois. Locke is only completing 51% of his passes with two touchdowns and a pick, but he let a comeback win against Illinois. They were down you know, fairly big, and he's a young guy, so that could give him some confidence moving forward. He already got the experience. He's not coming into this game fresh, if you will. He also won the backup job over Oklahoma transfer Nick Evers, who was a coveted recruit coming out of high school. So what do you think of this lot, kid? Have you seen anything about him? Are you surprised that he's the new starter? You know, Give me something here, Chuck, because I don't have a lot to add, unfortunately, about Locke beyond what I saw in that Illinois game, which was very little. He was kind of an afterthought this offseason, right? Because... Yep. It was Mordecai. Actually, Evers was the first one to, the, to commit. And you're like, oh, this is what he's going to do. He went and got him a, a high four-star. Maybe he might have been a five-star. He was a big-time recruit that just didn't get on the field because Dylan Gabriel was brought in as a senior transfer or like, three years ago with how things work these days. So it was shocking that he was the one that I that took the job after. Because I'm going to be honest, once Mordecai got the job, I didn't check the depth chart for Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm kind of like a first string kind of guy for, for the opponents until we're playing them. I was even more shocked to see that Evers isn't even second string. He is, if you look at their two deep, he is not on it. So he They have a redshirt stay. freshman, I think, right? Yeah, these guys are all redshirt freshmen. Uh, is ever Evers redshirted, right? He didn't play enough last year to become a, a sophomore. So they've got three redshirt freshmen on their uh, depth chart. I'm just going to throw this out there. One of these guys is trying to figure out how to get his second transfer. With, <laughs> with uh, we're, We got some mental health stuff going on right now at, at Wisconsin. Out on that. So I didn't know a bunch about him. I haven't been impressed with him in the games that I've seen. I think he can do just enough to cause problems, but he's not somebody that is going to strike fear, especially in this defense, the way they're playing. He is going to have to, in order for Wisconsin to win, it's not going to be because of this guy. It's going to be because of another position group, probably the defense causing some turnovers. This guy is going to need to manage the game and get real good at handing the ball off to Braylon Allen and not turning it over for them to have a chance. I agree with that. I tried to find some of the Wisconsin-Illinois game online. Again, I saw very little. I don't think that Locke threw downfield a ton, reminiscent of what we saw from Drew Aller against Ohio State. But I'm not ruling out. That's trouble. That's trouble for them. He be- <laughs> they, they better push the envelope or they're going to be buried. I'm just not going to rule out a solid performance because he hasn't had the opportunity to fail, I guess, if that makes sense. And clearly the coaches were confident enough in him to elevate him to second string behind Mordecai. So we'll see. In the backfield, Locke has a great support system and a young quarterback's best friend, which is a big, fast, powerful runner. Uh, Running back Braylon Allen is the closest thing I've seen to Derrick Henry. Even if Phil Longo tried to use him like, uh, I don't like Darren Sproles early in the season, it, it was odd the way that they were throwing the ball to him. And 
honestly taking him off the field. But with fellow running back Ches Malusi now injured, the Badgers have reverted back to leaning on Allen, much like the way they did in 2021 and 2022. The 6'6", 270-pound junior. I'm kidding. Allen is listed around 6'2", 240. He has 700 yards on the ground and is second on the team in receptions with 23. However, those receptions have produced just 96 yards. He's a power back. He's not a change of pace receiver, which is why I thought it was odd that Wisconsin had him playing second fiddle to Malusi early on. This is Allen's backfield now, and I expect the Buckeyes to get a heavy dose of the supersized runner on Saturday night like they did last year. I think he had about a buck fifty. Granted, Ohio State blew their doors off here in Columbus, but Allen's the real deal. Would you agree? No doubt. And I just wonder if there were some things where he wasn't completely bought into the program because Fickles doesn't seem like the kind of guy to allow his coaches to just move off a guy because of a style. I get it. He doesn't fit Longo's style. Longo is a, uh, I know previously when he, he was in North Carolina. It was just spread them out and, and go. But he's had some running prospects in the past, and he has ran the ball a lot in previous stops. So to me, it feels like that this was a – this guy thought he was a little bit too big for the program or whatever it may be, and, and Luke Fickle felt like that they needed to set a tone and a culture for this program that he didn't fit into to start. Now – he obviously changed that, and I know an injury helped, but I don't believe that even with that injury, he would have gotten these carries if he was still a problem. So I feel like it's just one of those things. When you get a new coaching staff, who knows what is going on behind closed doors? He's worrisome because he's somebody you haven't really seen. Even uh, a teammate wasn't this big, right? He was a big boy, but 245, is <laughs> that that's, that's laying wood. I mean, Steel Chambers walks around at 220, 225, and that's with five-pound weights in his pockets. So they better they better put their big boy pants on when they're hitting a hole because he's coming hard. And my guess is if if this game stays within two touchdowns, he is going to get 30 to 35 carries in this game. Probably. I expect this to be a big Cody Simon game because of the running game for Wisconsin because he's just uh... – I think a little bit better currently against the run. That's the style that he is suited for. Let's look elsewhere. On the perimeter, Will Pauling is Wisconsin's go-to receiver. He came over from Cincinnati with Fickle and has 37 receptions for 398 yards, leading the team in both categories. He is also tied for the team lead in receiving touchdowns with Calties. one. That's right. Five players have a single receiving <laughs> touchdown for the Badgers, including offensive lineman Nolan Rucci. So he is tied for the team lead with the one tu- receiving touchdown. Not the most explosive passing attack, but they added a bunch of guys in the portal. Uh, Kamir Dyke is back in Madison. I think that's how you pronounce it for a fourth season. He's played... You know, we've seen him play against Ohio State in the past. He, he can be a big play guy. The parts are better than the whole with this passing game, if that makes sense. It just hasn't clicked like it did for Longo and Drake May in Chapel Hill. And I get it. Drake May is a super talent. Tanner Mordecai, maybe he is, maybe he's not. We certainly don't know much about Braden Locke at this point. But it's not what I would have expected from the, this Wisconsin offense with Longo in the fold and Tanner Mordecai in the fold. Even when he in when the latter was healthy, it was it was hit and miss. So they've got some guys you clearly have to prepare for. They've got the kid from uh, gosh from USC who I think was like a high four star and transferred in. He's done very little. Last name Williams, I think. He's got to be thinking to himself. All right, I transferred to play in a run-and-shoot offense. Now the quarterback's down. We don't really shoot as part of the run-and-shoot. And it's about to be 12 degrees in Madison for the remainder of the year. He's got to be pissed. But because Longo's there, 
because Allen is there, Ohio State has to prepare diligently like you're going to get the Badgers best, in my opinion. You take the top four uh, leaders in receptions for Wisconsin, their average yards per catch, 10.8. You've already talked about this one, 4.2 for Braylon Allen, 8.8 for Skylar Bell, and Bryson Green is 12.8. This is worse than Penn State. Like, they throw it less downfield than Aller, if that's even possible. It's almost, it's, it's almost, like, too hard to believe in 2023 that there's an offense that is this horizontal in the passing game. So, they, they're in trouble offensively. They better get some short fields, and Allen better run for the game of his life because the Ohio state secondary is not, not going to put up with this. They're going to shut this shit down with a quickness. In my opinion, that's sort of been the problem for them. I think they had, um, gosh, who was it last year? Like Bobby Ingram as their offensive coordinator, who had been an NFL player receiver, he coached tight ends this year. It's long ago. So they're trying things. They may benefit from, uh, you know, atmosphere, environment, weather. I mean, looking ahead right now, it's supposed to be 48 on Saturday. Chance of rain. So maybe it gets sloppy. And that would play to Wisconsin's strength, I would think. Just because they've got Braylon Allen. And Ohio State has a bunch of guys who are all talented behind others who maybe aren't. Or aren't executing very well. So if it's run on run, maybe it gets tricky. Speaking of that run game for Wisconsin, up front, a past strength of the Badgers. The offensive line has been slightly above average, I guess. Lots of turnover in terms of coaching has had an impact. But left tackle Jack Nelson has a chance to be a first rounder. And there's plenty of experience to go around up there. It's just not what we sort of grew accustomed to when it was... Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, um, you know, just go on and on. I'm not going to go back to Ron Dane because now I'm two decades, three decades in the past. But Ohio State's run or Wisconsin's run game was a strength up until, and now it's fallen off a little bit. But when you've got Derrick Henry's son back there, it's always going to be a threat. Let's flip it around on the defensive side of the ball. Wisconsin did lose former defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, and they gained both Fickle and Mike Tressel. Name probably sounds familiar, right? The result has been a noticeable step back for the Badgers' defense, but not one that would cause me to sound the alarms in Madison. Fick's bunch is 18th nationally in points per game allowed. They were, I think, first or second last year. They have... Held opponents to less than 200 yards passing per game. Something to keep an eye on. Some of that's competition. As Whiskey has faced... Well, not a damn team that can throw the ball. Cam Ward and Washington can chuck it around a little bit. But the Cougars were able to, if I'm not mistaken... They were able to use like a balanced attack when they defeated the Badgers week 1, week 2, week 3. It was early on. Ohio State will present an entirely different, unique challenge, and I'll just leave it at that. But we also know that the whiskey defense is going to be well-coached, prepared, the whole nine. Chuck, I know that this is not the 2022 version coordinated by Jim Leonard that was like all-world when it came to some of their stats, but if you're sitting there ranking defenses that Ohio State has played for example, would you put Wisconsin second behind Penn State? Would you put it third behind Penn State and Notre Dame? Where are you at on these Badgers? Yeah, they're probably third. And this was always going to be a challenge for them because of the different styles. When you're coming in, and I and Leonard's a great defensive coordinator, and I think Trestle is too, but when you're completely changing the style of the defense and Trestle runs a 3-3-5, uh, he he leans on more 
uh, man to man than Leonard ever did. I don't know that Leonard ever played man. So it was a scenario where they didn't probably recruit a single corner or safety that needed to be able to line up and, and cover anybody uh, mano a mano. So that part of it was always going to be a challenge because they just didn't have the similar styles and similar personnel matchups for it. That being said, they're not incompetent by any stretch of the imagination. They're still really good, and they're going to be a challenge. Now, will it be enough? I don't think so unless they can get the ball and take it away. If that happens, then I think all bets are off. And I think that's got to be their entire focus is how do we get the ball away from Kyle McCord, who likes to put it on the ground one time a game, whether it's a real play or not, and whether you can convince or you can maybe confuse him a little bit, especially if Abuka's not playing. I would be shocked if Marvin Harrison has 160 yards this game just because Pickles just not and Trestle, they're just not going to do that. They're going to try their best to take him out of the game. And I, it may not be two for 12, but it's not going to be 10 for 160 by any stretch, I don't think, because they are going to make Julian Fleming and Carnell Tate beat them if Abuka's not healthy. So it's good. It's not great, but it, it poses enough of a challenge and they have enough defensive. Uh, brain power to potentially cause some problems if the the right bounces happen for him. For sure. And I've got a our producer, who is me or you, gotta correct myself here, made a note. Wisconsin finished fourth in scoring defense two years ago. They were seventeenth last year. They were still really good. And I think they're right around the top twenty this year in points per game allowed. But you look at their schedule I mean, they played Buffalo, gave up 17. They lost to Washington State. As I mentioned earlier, they gave up 31 in that game. But then Georgia Southern scored 14. Purdue, 17. Rutgers, 13. Illinois, 15. Or, I'm sorry, Iowa, 15. Illinois, 21. They haven't really played an offense with scoring. Hold on. Iowa scored 15? That should get somebody fired. You give up more than a touchdown to Iowa, you should be terminated from your role. I wouldn't give up a touchdown to Iowa. Here's the rub on that. 82-yard touchdown run three minutes into the game, and Iowa got a safety. So you eliminate those, and Wisconsin's defense did represent themselves much better in that game, but it's... it's a different beast with Ohio State. I mentioned who they've, who Wisconsin has played already, and then we know that West stinks. But after Ohio State, they play Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota. That's disgusting. And if they can somehow limit Ohio State to you know twenty one, twenty four, twenty seven, whatever it is, like they can pitch four shutouts in November, and I wouldn't be shocked. We talked about this preseason, Chuck. This is, I think I even predicted it, that if Wisconsin upset Ohio State, that they could or would go 12-0. and Washington State was a toss-up. I thought that they would beat Iowa, but there's really no reason they shouldn't go at least 9-3 and looking at the remainder of this schedule. It's, it's awful. That's sort of indicative of the Big Ten West, but... I, I don't want to keep going down that road. I, I said we were going to stick on the defense. Let's do that. Um, mentioned some of the stats already. Nine different Badgers have at least one sack this season with linebacker Daryl Peterson leading the pack. Fellow linebacker CJ Getz is tied for second with three sacks. So it seems like pressure could come from anywhere, especially via the blitz. Wisconsin does run that 3-3-5. I think they'll mix it up with a 3-4 at times. Like They've got a bunch of linebackers who play. And then the big guys up front are more run stuffers than they are pass rushers. Think of a guy like Keanu Benton last year. They don't have a behemoth in 2023. But 
Rodas Johnson is a guy to keep an eye on there, if only because he's from DeSales High School here in Columbus, Ohio. A bit of a revenge game, perhaps. And James Thompson Jr. is also from Ohio, Cincinnati to be exact, and he leads those guys up front with three sacks. I mentioned Peterson and Getz. They are joined in the middle of the defense by linebackers Jake Chaney and Jordan uh, Turner. Chaney is second on the team in total tackles with 44. Wisconsin's linebackers are very, very solid. Just good, smart football players. I would say that position group is comparable to a Penn State or a Notre Dame. Maybe a slight edge with Penn State, just athletically. But I like Wisconsin's linebackers. Finally, in the back end is where you're going to find a few of Wisconsin's most impactful defenders. Safety Hunter Wohler leads the team in tackles with 70. 26 more than Cheney in second place. Sort of crazy. But he's not just a cleanup guy. He moves around, plays all over. Uh, he's added four pass breakups, two interceptions, and a sack. Chuck, he is a football play in Jesse, who was also a consensus four-star recruit. Coming out of high school, dude can ball. And you know what else I'm going to say about him? Do you know? Do you know? I, I probably do, know? do like but him? indulge me. Well, he um, we, we discussed this with Purdue safeties. He is similar to a uh, Donnie Nicky, uh, Derek Weddle. So he is a... Uh, I, I know where you're. He's I know where you're player. getting at here. He's a ball player, but think, Jim Rat, right? First guy in, last guy out. Loves the game. <laughs> Student of the game. You think about some of the safeties in the Big Ten, though. Like, you know, he's a beast. Well, I guess Cooper DeGene's a corner, is he not? Either way, we'll, we'll lump them all together. Lump them together. Either way, Big Ten defensive backs are representing, and they've also got Wisconsin's also got Ricardo Hallman, who has four interceptions and four pass breakups already this season. Not the biggest guy in the world, though. Which is that's where I think OSU can hurt Wisconsin. Um, Hallman, Alexander Smith, Jason Mitri, three corners, all under six foot tall. I think about a buck 80. It's not that you need Richard Sherman type guys to compete, but it certainly helps when you're going up against Marvin Harrison Jr., possibly Igmeka Igbuka, possibly Carnell Tate. You know what I mean? Like, Marv is obviously 6'4. I think Tate, he's listed at 6'2, looks 6'3 to me. And then Igbuka 6'1, 200. You've mentioned that he. Looks a little more stout, a little more solid this year. Bigger, faster skill guys. They're the entire package. And so if Wisconsin has these small-ish guys on the perimeter, Ohio State could have an advantage, like I said. But before we get to spread, concerns, things like that, Chuck, anything else that I may have missed on either side of the ball regarding either team that you're going to be looking for on Saturday night or watching on Saturday night. So you're just going to not compare their special teams to Ohio state's stud special teams. Are we, it, we're just going to gloss scene, that over. That scene got cut. I didn't even bother. <laughs> uh, no, you know, talent wise, if you look at these two teams, you wouldn't think they're comparable and this should be an easy 15 to 20 point victory, but going to Camp Randall makes it scary for Ohio State fans. And I think rightfully so. Wisconsin has earned that respect of playing at home. Yeah, total agreement there. So let's get to, let's just get straight to the spread. We're about an hour in here. Give some people their time back. I'm sure they're going to want to rewind and re-listen to Conspiracy Hour. I think that was some of our best work. The spread for Saturday night's game is currently around 14 points or two touchdowns. You might find it at 12 and a half, 13. You might find it 15 somewhere, but it's about two touchdowns, 14 points. 
Chuck, I don't remember who went first last time. I'm just going to bend the knee to you. What is your score prediction for this game against Wisconsin? To me, this feels like this feels like a 27 to 13 kind of game. I don't know until I see that breakout against a good defense. And I know we saw a little bit against Purdue, but until I see like that true breakout against what we believe is like an elite defense or not even elite, just really good defense like these guys can offer. I'm not ready to say they're going to go bonkers uh, to kind of. So with my number, that's not a cover because 14 and a half right now is the number. My guess is that's going to continue to go up versus go down unless there's a bunch could because my all the money's on Ohio State. Let's be honest. Nobody's betting on Wisconsin. So I to me, that shows as a not a cover for Ohio State. But. I'm still confident in a pretty, while not easy game, something where it's not white knuckle, buttholes puckered in the fourth quarter. I'm a little bit different on this one. Above all else, I hope that I hope that Ryan Day and the Ohio State coaching staff, like I hope they get through to their players that. This is a trap game. When you hear people talk about it, this is the sort of game that they are talking about. I'm not going to say that this is Wisconsin's Super Bowl because in theory they could face Ohio State again in Indianapolis, right? But if Wisconsin could pull off the upset here, I would go as far as to guarantee that that puts them in the Big Ten championship game. I, I read you the rest of their schedule on top of that, like we've talked about, man, like this is Luke Fickle coaching against his former team, his former employer. It's in Camp Randall. It's a nasty place, and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, it's a night game. It might be cold. We saw Kyle McCord step step up at times against Notre Dame. I think Camp Randall is a more hostile environment. When you go to South Bend, it's all about tradition and ambiance, right? You go to Madison, Wisconsin, Camp Randall, it's rowdy, it's loud, it's nasty. They're going to let Ohio State fans and players hear it. So it's going to be a hostile environment. They're going to play jump around at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Student section is going to go nuts. So all things to consider. I'm with you on Ohio State's offense. I don't know that they're 30-plus. We haven't seen it yet against a good defense. But we've seen Ohio State's defense go up against some teams and limit them. I just don't think that Wisconsin has the firepower. But I don't think Ohio State covers. I think that it might be tight throughout. Give me 24-17 Ohio State by only 7 because I just don't think that the Buckeyes put up a ton of points. However, I do believe that they will limit the Badgers. Man, so what you're saying is I better go get another six-pack, because if it's a one-score game, I'm going to need to make sure I have enough, because having already been drinking all day, potentially, hopefully, let's see how it works out, this being a night game, I'm not going to be able to go drive at halftime to pick up a few, so I better go get some more just in case your uh, your You know where you can get a lot comes to fruition. Where's you that? can probably get a lot of beer free from the uh the brewery up in Pennsylvania that made the Buckeye Tears beer. I, I bet they're sitting <laughs> on a bunch and they probably can't sell it. Maybe give them I bet a call. It tastes like, probably tastes like shit though. Probably. I mean have you had I'm probably going to anger some people, but Yingling is a Pennsylvania beer, is it not? It kind of yeah, sucks. sucks too. It kind of sucks, sucks if we're being honest. So Yeah, we, sure... we used to like it when we couldn't get it, and then all of a sudden it was in Ohio. We're like, oh, we, we weren't missing anything. This, this stinks. I'm sure they've got some wonderful... I said Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, I was talking about the, the Penn State beer. I'm sure they've got some wonderful libations. I think Wisconsin probably has better. That's sort of what sort of what those people are known for, and I love them for it. 
what else are you going to do in, you know, the middle of everything, the middle of nothing when it's December, you got your Packers, you maybe got your Badgers and you got a cold one or two. So I love those folks in Wisconsin. I think the atmosphere is awesome. I, I really do think that Camp Randall is probably one of my top 10, top 15 venues across the country in college football. I wouldn't put it up there with a Death Valley or, you know, a number of other, but it's probably in a, a, a top 15 list if I wanted to make one. But, you know, Chuck, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, I think we've covered just about everything. And, yeah, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be nervously awaiting Saturday night. That's a me problem. I'm always anxious. I'm always I always have anxiety about Ohio State football unless it's Indiana week one, unless it's something like that. But I feel good about the Buckeyes. I'm hopeful that we get some players back. Having Travion Henderson, Emeka Ibuka, and Denzel Burke never hurt anybody. And when you've got some question marks about your offense, Henderson and Ibuka surely help out in that area. So let's get out of here, partner. For those of you listening, we thank you. We appreciate you. Please hit us up on social. Send us emails. Follow the Twitter page. Whatever you guys want to do, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod on your platform of choice. And until Sunday, when Chuck and I come back at you to talk about this game, as always, go Bucks.